turn in our Bibles this morning to Psalms, Psalm 27. Psalm 27. By way of introduction, 1 Samuel chapter 10 is where Eric left, left off in, in Samuel. And I'm going to be reading this morning a little bit from, as, as you find your place in Psalm 27, from 2 Samuel 21. 2 Samuel 21. Now, Eric's going to be there in probably about a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, Saul has long since died, and David has been king for nearly 30 years. He's won many battles. He brought, he's brought great prosperity to the nation of Israel. He's also had his faults. He has committed adultery with Bathsheba and ended up killing her husband, Uriah, to cover his tracks. Absalom, his son, has rebelled against the kingdom and against David, and Absalom has lost his life. David now perhaps is in his early 60s, and it's been give or take a few years, about 40 years since the slaying of Goliath. And Israel and King David once again find themselves at battle with the Philistines. In 2 Samuel 21, verse 15, when the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbi Benob, who was the son, who was one of the sons of the giant, so either a son or a grandson of Goliath, the weight of whose spear, whose bronze spear was three hundred shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to David, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. David, that was just a little bit too close for comfort. David, you don't get to come out to battle anymore. We're not going to have these Philistines, these pagan people, our arch enemies, taking the light of Israel, the most important person, the king, taking his life. Now, the Philistines were a powerful people. Israel had encountered them when they came into the promised land, and they were enemies of the children of Israel from the time of the judges. You'll remember that Samson fought against the Philistines. Delilah, his temptress, was a Philistine. Clear through King Saul and King David and the other kings up until the time when the Assyrians came in and basically conquered the whole territory, the northern kingdoms of Israel and the Philistines as well. Hundreds of years of battles with this pagan people, these Philistines. Physical and spiritual contention. You see, because these Philistines, they served foreign gods. They served Dagon, the fish god. They served Ashtoreth, the goddess of sex and fertility, among others. Served gods of nature. Gods of worship of the human body. Gods of 
which would amount to money, basically. Constant threat to their physical and spiritual identity in, in God. And subsequently, when Israel went into idolatry, some of these same gods that they took were the gods of the Philistines. So here today, for us, the constant challenge to our faith in Christ. The constant challenges to the Christian faith in this country. The constant battles that we face to stay fearless in our faith, to remain focused in our faith, to remain obedient to our faith, to remain teachable and learning and trusting in God so that we might be an encouragement to each other, constantly challenged. You see, long ago did our nation decide that our rights would be so great that we would have to give the right for people to participate in vice. And at some point, our Supreme Court said, it's okay, pornography's okay. That was a lot of years ago and a lot of decisions. And look at where we're at now. To where what God has asked us to do and to be, you see, as a, as a nation, we're saying no. No, we have our, our personal freedoms are more important than that. That's a constant threat to our faith. So how did David deal with it? How did David keep the faith? Well, we know through the Bible that it didn't always work out for David. He had his faults. But within him, you see, was, was this knowledge that, that faith exists, and that's what I want to press into. And Psalm 27 is called, it's entitled, An Exuberant Declaration of Faith. And so as we read through it this morning and we go through it verse by verse, I think that we will see that David's faith and his intention in faith was to be fearless, to be focused, to be obedient, to be trusting God, to be teachable, and to be encouraging. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for Psalm 27 that sits this before us this morning. And, and Lord, we recognize that, Lord, we have so, so far to go in our faith. So much to press into, Lord, but we recognize that that's a work of you and it's a work of us yielding to you. So, so Lord, we yield to you this morning for this, these few moments in, in your word and we ask that you'd teach us, that you'd open our hearts and our eyes and our ears and, and help us to see things that you want for our lives. Lord, that we would, we would be willing and ready to make the changes that you ask of us this morning the reminders that you remind us of this morning, Lord, and that you would be glorified in, in this time of Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 27 and verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, we just read a portion of Scripture where the men of Israel had said to David, David, you're the, you're the lamp of Israel. You're the light of Israel. And David here is declaring right off the bat, the Lord is my light. David knew where the light come, came from. He, he knew he wasn't the light or the lamp of Israel, but, but uh, God the Father was. You're the 
Lord, you're my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David says, the Lord is my strength and my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army encamp against me, my heart, my heart shall not fear. Through the war, the war should rise against me. In this, I will be confident. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that faith is, is that faith is fearless. And notice what, what he says, that this is at a heart level. My heart shall not fear. The very core of me shall not fear. Sometimes we like to put on the face of not fearing, but it's not necessarily in our heart. David says in my heart, I want to be fearless. Now, I'm sure that he had a respect. I'm sure that he had a respect when he went against Goliath. Goliath perhaps was eight to ten feet tall, if not more. And the Bible says that he has a, a spear that was the size of a small log. And at the end of that, at the end of that log was a blade that in, it, in and of itself weighed 15 pounds. Goliath could have filleted David at any time. At any time. And I'm sure he had a respect for that. So when David says, whom shall I fear? He has experience staring down death and watching God work in his life and save him. So he knows what he's talking about when he says, whom shall I fear? In 2 Timothy 1 and 7, Paul says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has given us his spirit. God is power. God is love. God is all wisdom. We don't have the spirit of fear, but we have the spirit of those things. In Hebrews 13 and 6, the writer says this, so, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? When David says, whom shall I fear? This is what he's talking about. What can man do to me? What's the worst? All right, great, kill me. It's my soul that matters. It's my soul that God owns and he has. It's my soul that's going to be taken care of. And also, he's the God of my flesh and he can save my flesh if it's his will as well. But what can man do to me? Who shall I fear? In 1 John 4 and 18, it says... There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. David was made perfect in love by believing that God loved him. And if God loves me, and God has all power and wisdom, and God has unmatched strength, then if I believe in, in, in a God of unmatched strength, then that unmatched strength is available to me. And in that unmatched strength, I have faith. Oh, certainly I don't have faith sometimes in the things of, in, in what I can pull off, in, in, in where my country may be going, in some of the circumstances that are going on. I don't have faith in those, but I have faith in God's power and strength. 
and his ultimate will for my life, that he's, that he's going to see me through. You see, faith knows, that, faith knows these things. Now, in, in, in Revelation 2 and 10, Jesus is speaking to the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church, the church that was really, we can identify it by the first century church, the church that was persecuted, millions of them, killed by the Roman emperors. And he says this, Do not fear any of those things you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Suffer, death. Now, these people that in Smyrna who were listening to this letter for the first time were people that had probably seen some of their Christian brothers and sisters tied to a pole, covered in tar, and set on fire. And Jesus says, don't fear it. Don't fear it. Now, I think each of us would would tremble at going through something like that. But Jesus says, "Deep, deep inside, you can be fearless because even if they killed the body, even if they kill the body, your soul's mine. Your soul's okay for eternity. So what's your Goliath? What's your biggest fear? Is there an army encamped around you right now? Sometimes it feels like it, doesn't it? I know sometimes some of us face at every corner that we turn to. On every side of our life, closed door, closed door, closed door. Lord, why? Lord, indeed, it feels like there's an army encamped around me. Is, it, is there anything there that God can't deal with, that God can't handle? David had a literal army encamped around him. Saul, the king, was trying to take his life. And God saw David through. God saw David through. Faith, indeed, is fearless. Faith is fearless. Give the Lord whatever it is that you're most afraid of. Give it to the Lord and become perfect in love by understanding that if he loves me and I understand that the God of this universe loves me, then the Bible says fear just goes away. Based on my knowledge of who God is and the fact that he loves me and knows me by name, I can let go of that fear. That's what David say. Whom shall I fear? Look at verse 4. And he says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. So the second thing that faith is, is that faith is focused. Faith is focused. One thing, David says. One thing, and only that one thing, that's what I'm going to set my mind to. That's what I'm going to seek. In Matthew 7 and 7, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. In Hebrews 11 and 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. David says, Lord, I want to diligently seek this one thing. This one thing, I want to diligently seek it because I know it can be found. Now, in my family, I am the finder 
I am the, because I am the seeker. If something is lost, my precious family will look for it for a few minutes, but if I'm around, they're going to turn to me pretty quickly because they know I will find it. Because if I know something's lost, my competitive spirit says I can find it and I can find it fast. And, and it kind of gets under, I, I mean, dinner can be ready and hot and everything. No, I'm, I got to find this thing. And I'm going to look under everything and on top of everything and in between everything and every possible place that I know that that might be. And when I get to the end of that, I might end up looking in the refrigerator for the keys. <laughs> You've all been there. You start looking in weird places. This isn't in here, but I'm going to look anyway so I can check it off diligently seeking and finding this thing. Now, I hope that translates into my faith, into my walk with God. You see, because far more important than me today finding my wallet or my keys or whatever it is, it's me finding out the will of God for my life. It's me finding out why God put me on this planet it's me finding out why God is taking me through this trial. It's me finding out what God wants to do in my life with my present circumstances to bless someone, to make a difference. What God wants to do in my life just to bless me. David says, I want, I, want, I want to seek that. I, I, I want this to be my desire. I'm going to seek it. And look at verse 4 again. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I, will, that I will seek. And here it is, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So what's that one thing that Davis, David is focused on? That one thing that he wants to seek? Relationship with God. Relationship with his creator. Relationship with a God that wants to have relationship with us. You see, and how many times can I just end up taking God for granted? Because you, you see, God, you're here for me. You saved me from my sin. Now I really would like this, 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 and this. And if I don't get it, I'm going to whine and cry. David says, I want to be focused on relationship with the Lord. I want to be in his house. I want to be in his presence. I want to be in a place where I can talk to him and he can talk to me. That's my one focus in my life. If I have nothing else that, that I focus on in my life, if I focus there... If I seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto me, Jesus said. Faith, faith that's focused. To feel the presence of the Lord in our lives. To know that he loves us. To know that he's working in us. To know that he forgives us. It's true rest. And David wanted true rest in the house of God. And he said, that's what I'm going to seek. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find, because we've been seeking and find grace to help in time of need. We can come to his throne of grace because of his shed blood for us anytime, anytime. And how often do we lean on our own understanding 
rather than running to God, running to God's house, running to God's presence, running to prayer, and hearing from him. Faith, faith is focused. Faith is fearless. What's your focus on? What's your focus on? If we could, if we could kind of microscope your days and your weeks and your months and your years, what's your focus on? Where's your focus at? You know, and it is the awesome thing about God is no matter where our focus has been, that today because of his word, if we'll look at it and obey, we can, we can change that focus. We can change that focus. And then, and then God is pleased and, 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 and then God starts working in us. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, so many things in this life just don't matter. Just don't matter. But my Savior, that's who I want to be focused on. Verse 5 says, for, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes I will sing praises to the Lord. David was able to say that because of his fearlessness, his focus on the Lord. In verse 7, he says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. The third thing, the third thing that faith is, according to David, is that faith is obedient. And it's obedient at a heart level. Look at what he says. My heart said, Lord, when you, when you came to me, God, and you said, seek my face, I want you to seek my face, David. Inside David's heart, there was an excitement. Yes, Lord, your face I will seek. And how many times, you know, in our relationship with the Lord, I know God wants me to do this, but I really, really don't want to. I know God would have me to do this, but I'm dragging my feet. I know, I know God's asked me to do this over and over again. Almost every Sunday I get convicted of this thing. And Monday comes and I won't remember it till the next Sunday. David says, there's, there's a joy in my heart when it comes to what you've asked me. Because I, I know... I know if I operate in such a way where you ask me something and then I go and do it, I get blessed. I get blessed. And certainly when God wants us to do something, it's for our best, our family's best, our friend's best, whoever he puts in our way to minister to, it's for their best. And indeed it is for his best as well because he rejoices when we're obedient, when we're obedient. What does the Lord ask you to do to become closer to him. How has the Lord asked you to seek his face? Is there something in you that gets a little bit excited about that? Now, now don't fret. I guarantee you, you won't be faithful in whatever that is, but God will be faithful. You just have to open your heart and say, yeah, Lord, I'm excited about that again. And maybe I, I tried that and I was working on that, but, it, it, you know, it went by the wayside. But, Lord, you still want it for me. And you're the God that makes 
Mercy's new every day, and so I go at it again with excitement. Yeah, Lord, I want to I want to I want to get that right this time. I want to seek your face in ways that maybe I never have before, in a consistency that maybe I never have before. In a way where I recognize that if I seek your face, I'm going to make a difference where you've placed me. And it's going to make a difference in my life personally as as well. Are we obedient? Are we seeking him? Are we obedient to look for God and God's will in every aspect of life? And then I guarantee you, obedience will always bring a blessing, not a material blessing. Oh, certainly God can bless us materially. But obedience does not necessarily bring a material blessing, but it brings a blessing to my heart and to my soul because I know at the end of the day I'm right with the Lord. I've done what he asked me to do. And can you see the martyrs that have gone before us? You see, these are people that their faith and their obedience to faith in Christ cost them their lives, sometimes in very horrific ways. But I have a sense that inside, as they were taking their last breath, they could probably identify with Jesus and say, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Peace. Peace. Because they were obedient. When their lives were absolutely in in turmoil, in prison, headed for the cross, headed for the for the whipping post, headed for destruction, but peace inside. Faith is obedient. Look at verse 9. David says, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. That's kind of an awesome statement. And it brings us to the fourth thing that faith is, and that, that, that is that faith trusts God. When my father and my mother forsake me, when the two people that brought me into this world that are supposed to love me more than anybody, they forsake me and they turn my back, their back on me. Now, I could maybe understand dads, you know, It's like, you know, listen, kid, if you don't straighten up and act like something that's more human, I'm going to give you the boot, right? Dad. But mom, when mom gives you the boot, you've got big problems. There's some issues here. You see, and in their culture, if mom and dad gave you the boot, there's a good chance that auntie and uncle and sister and brother and your whole support system would forsake you as well. David says, when I am an orphan, Lord, you're going to take care of me. When the worst thing that I can think of on this earth is to be forsaken by those who who brought me into this world and are supposed to love me, forsake me, Lord, you're going to take care of me. You're going to take, that's a deep, deep trust in God. That's a deep, deep trust in God. How many times when something on such a smaller scale happens and, and I just freak out. I just lose it, right? Can't even compare to mom and dad turning their back and kicking me out, right? Second Corinthians 
Paul is, in chapter 11, he's defending his record. There are men coming against him and challenging his apostleship and who he is as an apostle. And he's defending that, and he says, are they, are, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they seeds of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Paul's getting a little excited here. He's a little righteous anger going on. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths more often. For the uh, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That's 39 stripes, five times on his back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep, lost at sea. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness, besides all the other things, if that wasn't enough, right? And, he, and then he says this, and he says, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for the churches. All of this stuff I've had to endure as an apostle. But at the end of the day, God is using me, and churches are being planted, and people are being saved, and that's what I'm concerned with. Most of us would have been out, out after the second lashing. I give up. Paul says, no, I'm, I'm, thinking about, I'm thinking about the churches. I'm thinking what God has called to me to in my life. Now, that's a, great, that's a great trust. That's a great trust. That's saying that God, with Paul, all this stuff has happened to me. It's, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Lord. I'm trusting you that you are using my obedience to you and you are using my faith and you're doing something awesome with it. And, and so often, you know, I'm, you know, I wrecked my car today, you know, right? How does wrecking your car, how does losing your job compare Trust in God. Trust in God. You see, sometimes God indeed lets life happen to us. And, and the Lord said, Lord, when, when life happens to me, you're going to take care of me. When the worst happens to me, you're going to take care of me. Faith trusts God. Do you trust God? Do we trust God in the midst of life's most perilous circumstances? Do we trust God in the small annoyances of the day? Trusting God shows our faith. Look at verse 11. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart 
unless I believed, unless I had faith, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Lord, unless I believed and had faith that you were going to see me through this, I would have lost heart. The fifth thing that faith is, according to verse 11, faith is teachable. Faith is teachable. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me. And lead me. So many times we can have a faith that says, all right, I'm sealed up. Christ died on the cross for my sins, and now I'm living my life, whatever, and I'm learning this, and I'm learning that, and I'm doing this, and we can start doing things according to the world. When God has available to us all of his wisdom, all of his understanding, all of his will for us, if we will remain teachable. And David says, teach me your way, and then show me where I should go once you teach me all the things that you want to teach me. Paul prayed this for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1 and 15. said, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all of the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. I'm praying for you, Ephesian church, and this is what I'm praying, Paul says, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? In Colossians 1 and 9, Paul says this, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. So he's praying for the church at Colossae, a similar thing. He says, And we ask that you may be filled, filled, with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, if I need to press into all wisdom and all spiritual understanding that God has, I better get busy in learning. I better expect that every day that I pick up my Bible, that every time I come to church, that every time I listen on the radio to a teaching, that every time I fellowship with a brother and sister in Christ, God has something that he wants to teach me and change me and lead me in his way. That's faith that God wants to do that in my life. And how often we can kind of sell ourselves short because we know who we are, we know our makeup, and we forget that, wait a minute, God has given me his Holy Spirit to be at my disposal when I need him, and he said he would be there. God has given me his word to be at my disposal when I need it. And it is sufficient for everything in life. And so if we remain teachable, in that light, it will show our faith. David says, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. Faith believes that God has the answers to life's questions, and he wants to share them with us. Faith believes that God has the answers to life, and he wants to share them with us. Faith always has something to learn from the Lord. So teach me, Lord. Teach me each weekend. Teach me each Wednesday. Teach me when I go and be obedient and sign up for men's and women's Bible study. 
Teach me when I, when I walk in your ways. Are we learning? Are we following? Are we believing? Finally, verse 14, David says this. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So David now is encouraging his reader and his hearer. He's not speaking to, he's not proclaiming for his own anymore in what he's thinking. He's, he's telling us, wait on the Lord, be of good, good courage, and notice, notice, and he, God, shall strengthen your heart. You see, we can't do this. We cannot be fearless. And so often we lose our focus. And so often we aren't obedient. And so often we don't trust God. And so often we don't remain teachable but stubborn. But if we want it and we're open to it and we turn our faith to it, then David says, hey, be of good courage. You haven't done any of these things in your Christian walk in the last week, in the last year, in the last 20 years. It's God that strengthens your heart for this. It's God that gives you a heart-level fearlessness and a heart-level focus on him and a heart-level obedience and a heart-level of being open to trusting him in every aspect of life and a heart-level to be taught by him on every aspect of life as well. And then you see, just like David, 3,000 years later is, has encouraged us by what he wrote your faith will encourage someone. First, it will encourage you. Second, it will encourage someone in your family or one of your friends or one of your coworkers or whoever it is that the Lord wants to bring in your life this year or the next year. It will be an encouragement. Potentially, dads, dads, fathers, men, leaders of your families, if you do this for generations, they will remember. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. But it's God that wants to do that through you and in you. To have a faith that's all of these things is a faith that's defined. And a faith that makes difference. And you see, God wants to do it all for us if we're open to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word that once again challenges us and challenges us toward you, Lord. Not our own strength, not our own power. So Father, for those of us struggling in our faith and any of these issues of faith. Lord, indeed, strengthen our hearts this morning. We, we want to hear from you. We want to be empowered by you. Father, I pray for those specifically this morning that, that come and, and they're in fear. They're in fear because of all that life has thrown at them and the place that, that they're standing right now seems, seems overwhelming. Lord, encourage their heart. Show your grace upon them. 
Help them to have, help them to have faith in you. And to get their eyes, to be able to get their eyes off their circumstance and, and, and have some rest in you today. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for your goodness and grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.